Welcome to the opportunity for a personal spiritual growth experience with the Sue Curran Podcast, a podcast all about leading you into understanding the ways and heart of God. Pastor Sue shares from her decades of experience as a founding pastor, author, teacher, and world missionary. The goal is that you receive practical spiritual insights that you can apply to your life at home, church, and place of business. And now, your host, Dr. Sue Curran. We are so happy today to have Doug Tweed with us, my very dear friend. We have been working together, especially for kingdom purposes, for a number of years. I I knew Doug first as a journalist. I heard he had been a, a JAG officer and all kinds of exciting things like that. And, uh, and then our churches started working together some. Then after that, uh, Doug became a pastor in a Methodist church. And this is very interesting, isn't it, Doug, that you and I both ended up really laboring in the Methodist church. Laboring and then being sent forth from it. <laughs> well, that's right. And did you know, Doug, here's what I like. They like the fact that we were sent forth at our old church. And uh, I heard one of them quoting it and said, you should do like John and Sue did. You should let us be sent, sending you out, you know, from a place like this. So they, they feel that what we did was absolutely biblical. Some pastors might call it just leaving the church. <laughs> but actually, we had very good support um, from a lot of people who understood um, that Jesus wants people whose hearts are on fire to get out there and uh, share it with others. So then, then um, you formed the Friends of the King, which is is a church, but also a prayer ministry. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. It's really more of a trying to be a part of and a stimulus to the whole church is the way Christy and I looked at it when we started it about a dozen years ago, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's exciting. Um, Because I always thought that there needed to be people such as yourself um, who would, who would help, help to connect others. And I appreciate the times that you've just been out in our church just to be supportive and we also might have somebody more exciting than you and me to preach you know (laughs) and so so that was uh, a very nice experience and all you find people at your church we miss your wife so very much and she was a dear friend so you know here's what I would love for us to discuss Doug I uh, I did read your book I appreciate it very much. And um, after reading it, I still don't, I think Doug would be a perfect individual uh, that he and I could talk about revival and uh, what our desire is toward revival. Now, your book is called, um, yeah, Be, Be With Jesus. Be like Jesus and be for Jesus. And how long has it been out? Doug? Well, the book hasn't been out long. The, the title 
was actually a title for an article that I first wrote uh, all maybe eight or 10 years ago because I liked the motto kind of slogan concept of be with Jesus intimacy and be like Jesus sanctification transformation and be for Jesus mission and service. Uh, but then the book itself, I actually um, had bubble up during the last five or six months that I was caring for Christy at home. Wow. And, um, wrote the first draft uh, during those uh, five months. So it's, it's only been out um, a matter of months. Oh, well, I didn't realize that. Well, I'm favored to have a, an autographed copy of it. Then. It's <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've... Uh, I think, I think the last book I wrote was the ninth one, Doug. And you know, <clears throat> some people, they just assume you love writing if you write books. And I said, well, that's not really my point. Uh, I'm really um, saying what's burning in my heart. I'm not just doing this to enjoy writing. And I don't always enjoy it. Sometimes it it seems like work. And if, if you do enough of it, you'll know what I mean. <clears throat> but I do like I do like to share with people what Jesus has made live to me. And I have shared um, some things about revival and uh, the move of the spirit and some of the experiences um, that we have been through. I, I was just having a discussion with some folks. I think people would love for you and me to comment on how revivals begin. Where do you go to find the beginning of a revival? Uh, if you want revival, do these things. <laughs> what do you think for hungry people who really yearn for revival? Uh, have you found a real key or two that you think I'm not looking for a lot of detail right now, uh, but I just I just discovered a key recently that I felt was real important, and I just wondered uh, what what is one or two of the main keys that you found that bring people into revival. Oh, it's a great question, and uh, again, trying to keep it very brief, I think two things come to mind. Uh, first is that the idea of spiritual awakening and revival is really not going to some special place we weren't supposed to be for a while. It's actually getting to the place we've always been supposed to go. And so it's really just pursuing maturity and, and, and mature Christian discipleship. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's the first thing to understand. And the second, uh, which really has caught me in the process of this book, is that while prayer is essential as a starting part of revival, uh, the fact is that prayer is not enough. I've, I've been caught up in the right. passages of Ephesians 1, that we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and, and Second Peter, we've received all we need for godliness and godly living, and really have come to recognize that uh, sometimes we're praying for God to do more, when in fact God's just trying to get us to recognize all the incredible things he has already provided to us so we could begin to embrace them in the right way. And so that I think is right now for me, the real key to revival is for us to really get in the word, be led by the spirit 
and grab a hold of what we have, which includes the fact that God lives inside us. Yes. That's absolutely true. Uh, wake up to the realities yes, of what the Spirit uh, has, has already provided for us. Well, <clears throat> I, I came up with, with a thought, Doug. It was, it was so strange, the words that I felt the Lord was giving me, and I, I didn't want to stumble people with words, so I wanted to be a little bit uh, careful about it. But, um, you know, so many people, when they go searching for revival, uh, they, they want to go where as many things are happening as they can find that seem to be revival. Mm. <laughs> and so I would call that rather the matrix of revival, the workings of it, what you might do in it, that kind of thing. And But that's not really the power of revival. That's more the symptoms of it. And revival has got to come, uh, <clears throat> has got to come through a power, but because revival is the Holy Ghost and He is the power. And uh, so it just uh, occurred to me uh, that revival first begins. Um, there's a concept. Um, there's an there's an understanding. Uh, there's that first moment maybe you even have a good word uh for the beginning of revival uh and what word that could be but i noticed in my study about revivals that um god will begin a movement of his spirit i think people can understand this better than anything there will, there will start being a movement. I discovered that as a preface, preface to our revival here at Shekinah in 1980, you know what? I didn't know that there was a real Holy Ghost movement or revival anywhere. We were just hungry. But I later found out that a big sweeping revival called the Jesus Movement Mm. You know, started out yes. there with Chuck Smith, and and uh, then it came out east, and actually moved among the Catholics and all kinds of different ones, and 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 I felt that the Lord said to me at that time, um, if you go back to the beginning of a thing, you'll understand better how I work, and He said I work according to power. And the people that will touch into that power will be the recipients and the carriers of revival. And so um, <clears throat> I guess revival did, it would have started with me uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You remember Dorothy Wiley, don't you, Doug? I, I know the name. Yeah. Well, uh, she would have been a year or two older than you, I guess. But she, uh, let's see, she was an Episcopalian. And uh, she was so excited because she heard that our Methodist youth group that John and I had taken up to Buffalo Mountain 
had gotten born again saved. We really got saved. This was in 1976. And uh, she called me on the phone and was all excited about it. And um, we developed a little bit of a relationship. And then she told me about some people that had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, gave me a book that I could read. And how important is it for people to help each other into, into the things that we don't know anything about? Oh, that's so, so true. You know, but it's whatever started that movement out on the West Coast was what really started the movement that I was involved in. And it would have been probably three or four years, at least two or three years uh, ahead of uh, what we were involved in. Well, and then revival did break out in the Methodist church. And uh, because, you know, that group of young people that came to us on Buffalo Mountain, we had 80 of our young people and they had a bunch and uh, I don't know where those young people had had a touch with God, but it was real. And, you know, we went home from that meeting and from, for 17 straight nights, we went by invitation to Methodist churches and other churches and simply gave our testimony. Isn't it amazing, Doug, how powerful a testimony can be? Well, there's good reason why the scripture says they overcame by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. We, yes. We struggle as a church sometimes is how do I witness to my faith? How do I evangelize? And mm -hmm. the best thing you can always do is say, here is what God has done to me. Here is what God uh, has yeah. shown me. Here is how God has touched me. Uh huh. Yes. And, and then to just find out, <laughs> really, we could do the same thing over and over. Every time we spoke, we just told what happened to us. This is what we were. This is how the Holy Spirit moved. And this is what has happened to us since then. Well, and so everywhere we went, you know, people were receiving Jesus. Uh, you know, some pastors took the approach. One, one, one of them said to me, you know, Sue, this thing just scares me to death. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'd be, I would be afraid if he wasn't moving at all in the church, you know. But a, a, lot, a lot of them did catch on and, uh, and opened um, their hearts to, to what the Spirit of the Lord uh, was doing. And so, um, you know, from, from that uh, period on, um, revival became very precious to us. That was, that was before Shekinah. Doug, about when yes, I look back, I can hardly re believe it. Um, so um, in, um, in 1973, um, we, we saw that there, were, there needed to be, uh, there needed to be a church build where you could emphasize the things of the spirit, which we thought was so wonderful and and uh, we wanted to uh, tell people about that and <clears throat> i was just thinking what what a wonderful wonderful privilege it was uh for for me to be able to uh, 
after the experience in the Methodist Church uh, and churches, uh, then I was invited up to a place in Virginia, and uh, there was no there was no revival happening there, Doug. But it was still that that same spirit, that same spirit that with the Jesus movement. I don't really know how long that went on. Would you say? 15, well, 15? I looked, and you know, there was just a. For me, there was a, a multiple surges of a Holy Spirit move in the 20th century that goes as far back as Azusa Street with the great birth of the Pentecostal denominations. And then after World War II, uh, you had the Jesus movement, the Latter Rain movement, the yeah. charismatic movement, and they all kind of rolled in waves in different locations, but together, kind of wrapped up at least a couple of decades of touching different groups of chickens uh, of Christians in different ways. It was, it was a powerful, well, for me, it was really the Holy Spirit convicting people of, of the power of good over evil and the manifest presence of the Lord, the reality of, of, of God in us and with us that so much of the church had, had basically not been taught existed anymore yeah or else had moved away from but for the most part they really didn't even know about it did they no, I, I felt that they... I was very privileged to get to to be one of those people who could tell people yeah it's really true I know because I experienced this myself <laughs> but do you remember that that the Holy Spirit broke out at Asbury uh, Seminary um and um, that that was a Methodist college, and it's it was it seemed like rather um, a move that was just the Holy Spirit just did that on His own. But I read later about two women who had been praying together for quite some time for an outpouring there. Who knows? Maybe they tapped into this same Jesus movement. You know, could have been. Well, I actually went to seminary at Asbury and oh, did you? spent some time praying in the very auditorium where uh, the Holy Spirit move had broke out, where oh, basically exciting. students had felt drawn and then they came and one by one, they just stood up on the auditorium confessing their sin and then receiving along with repentance, great grace and forgiveness and manifest presence of God. And in hearing the story and just trying to be part of the history, when I was there in the, uh, the mid-90s, we actually saw one night among the students at Asbury College, now university, not the seminary across the street, but they had a bubble up. And, and one night they had about 50 or 60 students that began doing a similar thing, but it never exploded like the time you're talking about, but it was mm -hmm. kind of a little taste of what it had been like. Right. Uh, well, it, and I have a friend that's a Baptist pastor, a woman, and she said, you know, believe it or not, some of those kids came from Asbury. <laughs> but she said most of the leaders from their Baptist college were hiding around the corner. They didn't really want to encounter these people. Now, you, you can either be ready or not. You know, you're either hungry and you want to encounter someone like that or else you're not ready yet 
and and you have a lot of times great fear. I, I think fear is a powerful word for it. I've, I've kind of come to conclude, particularly among leadership, well-intended leadership, that often one of the most dominant emotions is the fear that you might have it wrong or the fear that me you might only have it right in part and that you've missed out on something God wanted you to do. And the reaction to that fear is to kind of reject and pull away from what God would want you to dive into. Yes. And in true, isn't it, isn't it beautiful that God never forces us into these things? Uh, but but he he does give us a tantalizing hunger, and uh, we 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 found that some people were just extremely hungry, and it didn't matter what socioeconomic strata of life they were from. You know, when we began our work here, uh, you know, the people that we started to work with, one was a college president who had just come in to build the. Uh, Southwest Virginia Community College. Uh, one was a bank president. One was a doctor. Oh, thank God, by the way, because if, if we hadn't had people that could really help us with the offering, how would we ever have made it? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, too. These people were hungry, and they were willing to do whatever it was that God asked us to do. Here was this one president of the college and he would write any of the papers I would ask the students to write for my class. And they were absolutely beautiful papers. But he didn't think he was too smart to have to write on a Bible college level. I really appreciate that. But, wow. you know, then we came to realize that um, I remember that the teaching about he, you need a new wine New wine needs new wineskins. Do you remember that so often we either, we either were teaching about it or we were hearing about it, that if we didn't allow our wineskins to be renewed, we could never hold the new wine. That's how we converted from denominational people to people that wanted everything God had for us. Yes, ma'am. I think that that is a parable that is so important. We have to be willing to change ourselves and our attitudes and our perspectives and sometimes let go of the good so we can have the better. And, That's the better. True. and, and again, there's this fear uh, about doing that, that, that so many will have, but when people give testimonies like you speak of at the outset of this revival ministry that, that you had, and then uh, what you did later on at Shekinah, you were giving people not only testimonies, but experiences where they could taste and see that the Lord was good. And then they got hungry for more and, and then they're willing to change because they want more. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that so many people had similar experiences. Um, <clears throat> when we... Uh, When I was on a lay witness mission, um, I met um, a young man whose sister 
had deep emotional problems, I guess we'd call it uh, uh, now, nowadays. Um, what is that when you, you have two ends, you're either- Bipolar. Or, yeah, bipolar. Let's say it would be something like bipolar. It wasn't a small thing. <clears throat> and, um, and so he was so concerned about her and he said, is there any chance that you could come to our church and preach a revival and maybe my sister would get healed? And so, okay, I'd never preached a revival. I'd spoken in several of these different Methodist churches. And um, so I agreed to do that. And you know, Doug, uh, and, if, and his sister was really met by God. And um, when I think about how God orchestrated all this, we were staying at the home. Judy Weatherford, you know, my friend from the beginning in this ministry, we, she and I were, we were staying in those lay witness missions, you'd stay in people's homes. And we were staying in the home of Mrs. Fisher, that is body by Fisher, the car people. And she had this mansion on the James River, I think it was. <laughs> and so that, that was quite a, a thrill in itself. And so uh, we, were, we were staying there. And um, so this man introduced me to his family up in Virginia. And I went there and that one night speaking turned into a 10 day revival. And, uh, you know, Doug, the first, the first time you ever do anything is likely to, to be the most exciting time <laughs> you'll ever have with it. And they told me that so many people who came to that meeting, if they were not saved, they got saved in that revival. Uh, so that just proves you don't have to know what you're doing. You just have to be willing to do it with all your heart for Jesus and uh, introducing people to Jesus. And actually, some of those people, uh, as a result of that revival, even came down and became a part of the ministry at Shekinah, you know, a few, few years later. So uh, it, it was very interesting to see how that could happen and how God <clears throat> could um, use, actually you, he used the lay witness mission. He used, uh, we were still Methodist people at that time and we were into something really over our heads, but I'll have to, I'll have to say that we were well, well received by a whole lot of people and lots of times I have found the Methodist Church, now all, not all denominational churches, but I've found the Methodist Church to um, be rather broad in their acceptance of people and things, and they'll make space for the new thing that God is doing. I'll tell you what, that's a very wise thing to do. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And I, of course, John Wesley's uh, foundational teachings for that denomination certainly honor the reality of the Holy Spirit and the kind of things that can occur, part of the first great awakening. Wow, this has been a fantastic conversation so far. 
Thank you so much for listening to the first part of my conversation with my special guests. Tune into episode two to hear the rest of our conversation. You've been listening to the Sue Curran Podcast. Join us next time as Dr. Curran shares more insights through interviews and teachings geared to help you grow in your relationship with the true and living God and function in a more productive and powerful way.